Welcome everybody. Does the Bible support slavery? And if so, how can a good and loving God support such a heinous practice? According to Bill Maher, God does support slavery and he should be cancelled. This is the gist of today's podcast. It is the 7th of October 2021 and this is podcast 67. Welcome to Fishing for Men with Mac where we talk about worldviews, truths and religious ideas. Today's podcast might be a little bit lengthy, so prepare yourself for that and pause in between, or but uh, make some time to listen to the end. So let's talk about Bill Maher. He's an American comedian, actor, political commentator, and television host. He's opposed to religion and has featured a film named Religulous in 2008 which is a combination of the words religion and ridiculous and i think that gives you the answer of his view on religion and to be honest with you i don't really i haven't watched it but sometimes religion is ridiculous um he's not really an atheist he just doesn't like religion and when asked about his view of god he said on a scale from one to seven with seven being absolutely certain there is no god he gave himself a 6.9 so he's actually an agnostic. He slightly believes somewhere 0.01% or whatever um, that there is a God, um, but he's not sure. Um, if you scroll through the internet, you would easily come across some of his talk show videos or his own videos with commentaries on various things. In, in last week's episode, we saw one of the reasons why Penn Gillette has a problem with the Bible is because he claims the Bible supports slavery. And I just briefly touched on that. And so I decided to go a little bit deeper into this week's podcast because it seems to be a real concern for many people. I also strolled across one of Bill Maher's videos where he talks about this. And the video seems to be directed to the cancel culture and has a specific rhetorical slant to it. But the content is still clearly um, his position on the topic. Now, I'm going to play the clip to you now. It's not that long. Um, But I have to warn you uh, that uh, the audio clip that I'll be playing for you of Bill speaking, it could be quite offensive. You know, I found it highly offensive. I think it's blasphemous. Um, So please take note of that. There's a section where there's a swear word, uh, and I sort of took that out. Um, And also, in the beginning when the video starts, he refers to people that you can't see, but in the video he's got a screenshot of a photo of Jesus. But really, he's talking about Jesus and his father so here it goes but if that's the case if being a product of your time is no longer an excuse what do you have to say about this guy and his dad (laughs) he was really strict and neither one of them had any problem whatsoever with slavery The Confederacy used the Bible to justify their cause because it has plenty of passages from both Testaments to back them up. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Slaves, be obedient to your human masters. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters. You see a pattern? If we're going to be consistent, I think we're going to have to cancel God. Jesus himself says at one point in the Bible, the servant who knows the master's will and does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Thanks, son of God. Would you let those words slide (laughs) if it was somebody's tweet today? Jesus did heal a slave once, but not to free him, to get him back working. 
because this is how slavery was back then. They didn't see it as a problem because no one did. And if you had been back there, you wouldn't have either. You're not better than Jesus or Ulysses S. Grant. You just came later. But I got to say that Jesus, you know, being God and all, really should have known better. So when he comes back to judge the living and the dead, I say he's got a lot of explaining to do. Like, hey, you were always performing miracles. Instead of the bar tricks with the loaves and the wine, why didn't you zap the chains off a slave? With all the preachings and the sermons on mounts, why not one time throw in a little, oh, and this whole people owning other people thing? That's not right. But no, nada. On the subject of slavery, Jesus says sweet to fall. So first thing when he gets back is <laughs> we're going to need an apology. And I mean a real apology. And any of this, I'm sorry if my condoning of slavery caused offense. Mm -mm. And then I think rehab would be in order and also sensitivity training. Oh, <laughs> he can forget about hosting the Oscars. I am sure that you can sense the disrespect and slander and probably the blasphemy. I, I gotta be honest, some oaks have some serious guts to speak out against a person like Jesus that has been so well documented as a historical figure and has been so real to billions of people and who is the founder of a movement that grew exceptionally after his death. Um, I would love to see a guy like the Apostle Paul debate with a guy like Bill Maher. I'd like to see how that goes. I think he would eat him for lunch. Okay, before I address some of the things he says, let me just state that it is true that the Bible talks about slavery, as you will see today. It is in different contexts between the Testaments, however. The Old Testament talks about laws given by God to govern slavery amongst the Hebrew people. The New Testament talks about slavery under which Christians were placed during the rule of the Roman Empire. And these contexts were not the same. You can't compare Old Testament slavery with New Testament slavery. It's a different world. But without further ado, let me get into some of the things that Bill says. Okay, the first thing that I would like to just talk about is what he starts out with right in the beginning. He says, neither God nor Jesus had a problem with slavery. Neither God nor Jesus had a problem with slavery. In other words, the whole Bible supports slavery. He says, nowhere does God show a distaste towards it. So, okay, a few things to think about or to ask. First, what do you mean by slavery? Which slavery are you talking about? Are you talking about the Jewish Old Testament slavery? When, you, when Bill uses the word slavery, what is he thinking about? Is he thinking about Roman slavery in the New Testament? Or is he talking about the slavery that America has experienced? Which one do you think he's talking about? Because there is this assumption that many people make that slavery has always been the same. It's all, always at the same level of heinousness. Um, that slavery has always been as oppressive as it was in the Americas in the 16th century and the 17th century. Um, so which slavery do you think Bill is talking about? Well, Bill is talking about the slavery that American slaves have experienced. And he's trying to place that, to pin that onto biblical slavery or the slavery that is spoken about in the Bible. Now, let me be straight out. American slavery and these other forms of slavery is not 
the same thing. And that's where Bill makes his first mistake. By identifying his idea of slavery to be the same as what we read in the Bible. Now, you might wonder, well, what is the difference? Slavery is slavery. No, slavery is not slavery. The, public, the, the slavery that you see the Hebrews had to perform is not the same slavery that you find in the Americas. And I'm just going to give you four of those things, four differences between the slavery that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament. We'll talk about the New Testament just now and the slavery that happened in the Americas. First of all, the slavery, the slavery that happened in the Americas was uh, was acutely involved with slave trading. There were slave traders. You know, that's people who would go with ships, go to Africa, grab a bunch of people, steal them, take them to the Americas and go sell them. That's the one form. The other form was colonialists would come to America, for, especially Southern America. They would, uh, they would colonize the local people, take the local people and force them into slavery. Okay, so there's trading, which is a foreign idea to the Jewish idea of slavery. I'm going to read you Exodus 21 and verse 16. Listen carefully. Anyone who kids, kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he's caught must be put to death. Did you hear that? It was illegal as a Hebrew to go steal another human being and sell him or keep him. Okay, Slave trading is therefore directly opposed to the Bible. God does not support it. It is in actual fact. He instituted the death penalty if you would do that. So in other words, if God was on the earth, when these guys were stealing slaves from, from Africa, he would have them receive the death penalty. Okay, So God is opposed to that type of slavery. Secondly, the type of slavery that happened in the Americas and perhaps many other places in the world was a forced type of slavery. You don't want to be a slave, but I'm going to make you a slave. I'm going to take you, put you in chains, and you're going to serve me for the rest of your life. That is not what we read in the Bible. I'll read you two passages and extrapolate on it. Leviticus 25, 39. If one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. What do you see there? He's going to sell himself to you? What's that about? It's his choice to become a slave. Well, what was the deal? Well, sometimes people would get very poor. They wouldn't have any money left. And they would go to a wealthy person and say, look, I cannot... Um, I cannot give you money, but I can give you myself. Here I am. Okay. Leviticus 25, 47. If an alien or temporary resident among you becomes rich and one of your own countrymen becomes poor and sells himself to the aliens living among you or to a member of, of the aliens clan. You get the idea. In both these instances, people became slaves because they wanted to become slaves. That wasn't the ideal position, but sometimes it was better for them. These texts make it clear that Old Testament slavery was voluntary. If a person lost everything except their lives, they would then sell their service or their family members' services to someone who then takes care of them in exchange for work. And I think most people, when they think about slavery, they imagine this master who beats up people. It was not the case in Jewish society. In actual fact, as we'll see just now, some slaves never wanted to leave their master's sides. Never, ever. So... The type of slavery that Bill is talking about is forced slavery. The type of slavery we read about in the Bible was voluntary slavery. And then there's a third thing. The slavery that we read about in the 16th century and the 15th and 17th century is that these people were slaves for life or indefinitely. But there weren't really a, a limit on how long they were to be slaved, slaves. Exodus 21 verse 2, the biblical idea, if you buy a Hebrew slave, 
he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. There was always a limit. The longest you could be a slave was for seven years. Just think about that for a moment. So you'd be a slave for a period. You'd sell yourself out for a period. And then you can go back to your normal life uh, so that you can pay a debt, etc. The text shows that slaves were not to be kept for longer than six years. We pick up that there were generally two reasons why people would end up in slavery. Leviticus 25.39 says to pay off a debt. In today's world, you can basically get away with paying without paying a debt. Uh, I don't know who pays your debt if you can't pay it. But in that world, if you can't pay, if you don't have money, you become that person's slave. Secondly, second reason why people end up in slavery is to restore something you've stolen when you don't have the money to pay it back. And often people would do that. Well, you've stolen something from me. You can't pay it back. You're going to become my slave now for a period of time. In that way, being a slave is almost like going to prison, except you work for someone. Okay, so that's, that's biblical slavery. Fourthly, when you look at the slavery that took place in the early America time, is that these slaves were usually black people. They were indigenous people. It was a racial issue. And as you saw in some of these texts I've just read, and there's a lot still to talk about, sometimes Hebrews became slaves to Hebrews. And sometimes people from surrounding nations became slaves. But when you look at the slavery in the Americas, it was always people of color. It was always a racial thing. So in the Hebrew idea of slavery, it could be your neighbor that becomes your slave for two years. So what's the conclusion? The Bible, Jesus and God, nowhere condones the slavery that the Americas has seen. Slavery under Judaism wasn't forced. It wasn't racially motivated. It wasn't indefinite and part and parcel of the slave trade. Now, there's still so much to say about Old Testament slavery, but I'll leave that for another day. But in a nutshell, slaves wanted to be slaves. They were not forced to be against their will, and they always had a way out with the possibility to become a slave for life. Let me just read to you one example. Exodus 21 verse 5 to 6. But if the slave declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, then he will be his slave for life. What? This is clearly not what Bill Maher is referring to. The slavery that Bill Maher refers to was oppressive and against people's will. They wanted to be free. They didn't want to stay with their masters. Here we read in the Bible, the guy says, look, if, if a slave wants to stay with you, he's welcome to do that, but then he makes that commitment for life. And you can imagine practically how this would work. You would have this person, it's the master's responsibility that you feed him, you give him place to stay, you basically care for this person for the rest of his life. What a wonderful place to be. It's almost like being in prison, right? But, however, that slave is there because he wants to be there. He likes you. He likes be your life. He likes being around you. He likes to feed off you because maybe he's been given the ability to make business, to make money. And so it's something that he cannot do. And he'd rather live in your house under your protection and serve you, help you with whatever it is that he's doing, than go out there in the world and try and survive on his own. Um, second, the slavery Bill Maher refers to is condemned clearly by the Bible. How do I know that? Well, I've described it above, but to make the point further, research about the history of the abolishment of slavery in the Americas. Go research, research it yourself. 
there was a great upheaval against slavery. That's why eventually it was abolished. Well, guess what you'll find when you go do the research? The first guy who seems to really made his, his, his throat thick about the slavery taking place was a guy by the name of Bartolome de las Casas. And he was a Spanish priest who first opposed the slavery of the Native Americas. The first to expose the oppression of indigenous peoples by Europeans in the Americas and to call for the abolition of slavery there. He was a what? He was a priest. Somebody who reads the Bible. Somebody who preaches the Bible. The first protest against slavery were the Quakers in Pennsylvania in 1688. Who are Quakers? That's a Christian group. A church group. People who read the Bible. What is the point? The people who started the abolishment of slavery, they were not atheists. It was Christians who read the Bible. If you read the Bible in context, you cannot say the Bible supports American slavery, but it opposes it. So in a nutshell, did God or Jesus have a problem with the slavery as we see have, as we see have taken place in the Americas? Yes, of course. That is also why many early uh, masters immediately released their slaves when they became Christians. Research, if you want to, some nice rabbit hole to chase for you, go uh, research the slave of Flavius Clemens. He became, uh, Flavius Clemens became a, a Christian and he immediately released his slave. That is in the first century, by the way, during the Roman era. Bill Moore goes on to say that basically pro-slave people in history used the Bible to justify slavery. Um... Yes, absolutely. Just like you, Bill Maher, you are using the Bible to say that, the, that, that God justifies slavery. And both of you make the same mistake. It is absolutely true. The Bible was also used to justify apartheid here in South Africa. You can use the Bible to justify just about anything imaginable if you read it out of context. The Bible can never be used to justify the slavery that was taking place in America because the Bible nowhere depicts racism as a basis for slavery. Nowhere in the Bible do we read of God's people being sent by God to go steal slaves and force them to submit. So yes, the Bible can be used to justify anything if used in an untruthful way. He also says that the New Testament supports slavery. That's bull. Now, there are a few passages addressed to slaves and masters. But we need to take note that these writings are di directed towards Christians who live in the Roman political and social system. Christianity did not promote or support or create slavery. But many Christians were subject to the Roman social and political way of life. Many Christians were slaves. Many Christians were masters. Now, they didn't become that when they became Christians, but they were that when they became Christians. So slavery was big in Rome. Some have said that 90% of Rome's population were slaves. Let that sink in. It was part and parcel of the ancient world. It wasn't as suppressive and oppressive as we think it, uh, as we perceive slavery to be uh, based on what we know about the 16th century. So when the New Testament addresses slaves or masters, it is not condoning it, but it is addressing Christians who find themselves in that system that they, come, they cannot come out of due to the social norm of the day and the rules that governed it. And so we do specifically have three scriptures that I'm going to read to you. Now, Bill Maher just pointed out like one or two verses, but you've got to read the whole thing. Um, verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. Not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, 
but with the sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there's no favoritism. In other words, what is God saying? What is Paul saying? He says, you, when, if you're a slave, be a good slave. Stand out among the slaves because your master is not a Christian. You show him what it means to be a follower of Christ. You show him that you're better than any other slave he's ever had in his life. And that will, that will lead you eventually to the point where he might just even let you go. That might even lead to the point where he becomes a Christian and then you set free uh, for life. But then he says in chapter 4 verse 1, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so this isn't, this isn't one-sided. He addresses the masters as well. He takes on them as well. Then we can go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. And what comes up the whole time is um, you're actually serving Christ. Look beyond your master. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. First Peter 2 and verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And there he encourages these slaves that if you're being mistreated and abused and beaten by your, by your masters, your ungodly pagan masters, may it only be because you've really made a mess. But make sure that you don't make a mess, that you do what is right, that you serve exceptionally well. We can deduce a few things here. Early Christians didn't have the political power to change the political system. They didn't have the power. These Christians, they didn't live in a democracy. And their first goal, to be honest, wasn't to uh, abolish slavery. That wasn't their first goal because that was a temporary thing. Their first goal was to know Christ and Him crucified and to make sure that they, that they declare His glory, declare His gospel and make ready for the day that they would meet Him face to face. They were concerned with the proclamation of the gospel, not opposition to political issues. And that's often what these atheists, they're always focusing on political stuff. Slaves could not change the system, okay? Masters could set their slaves free. But not everyone wanted to leave their masters, as, as we've already seen. They had become accustomed to slavery and knew no other life, some of them. These texts, they do not force masters and slaves to submit to the master-slave system, but to submit to God within that system that it cannot change yet. I'm just going to repeat that. These verses doesn't say, guys, submit to the slave master system. That's not what it says. What it says is if, if you're a slave, serve well. You can't break the system, but be a good slave while you're in it. Just because you are a Christian doesn't suddenly 
free you from the pagan structures that you find yourself in. It also says that masters have a master. Other passages point to the idea that there no longer exists such a thing as slave or master in God's kingdom. There's no class difference. Galatians 3.28, Colossians 3.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.13 all make it clear that in God's kingdom there is no more slave or free. We're all one under God. We're all one in Christ. The class distinction has been abolished. In fact, when Paul writes to Philemon about his slave Onesimus, he calls him a brother and not a slave and asks him to now treat his slave as if he was his slave. So Onesimus leaves Philemon's house as a slave. He comes back. And now Philemon must, in a way, be his slave. I mean, wash Onesimus' feet. That is crazy. But that is what Christianity stands for. Well, why didn't masters just let their slaves go? Well, I think many of them did. And I think many of the slaves didn't want to go. And many of the slaves couldn't stand on their own feet. Many of them still owed a debt. Many masters were probably dependent on the service of these slaves. Either way... Where Christians maintained the slave-master relationships, it is pretty much the same thing, if not better, than many of the employer-employee relationships today. But let me be straightforward. Regardless of these passages, there are at least two New Testament passages where the institution and practice of slavery is directly condemned by God. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, Paul lists the word enslavers. Andra podistai enslavers, people who enslave other people, he lists that sin among the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners who practice what is contrary to sound doctrine. It is contrary to the word of God to enslave people. You can go read that, 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. In the book of Revelation, chapter 18 verse 13, the trading in slaves, that is, the trading in human beings, is listed among the evils of Rome, which is called Babylon the Great in verse 2. It is directly opposed by God. Now let me give a few more passages that exemplifies Jesus' teaching on the subject. In John chapter 13 verse 12 to 17. After washing his disciples' feet, Jesus taught his disciples, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And what Jesus is demonstrating here is that he is the greatest. Yet he bows down, becomes a slave and washes his disciples' feet. And through that he's teaching them to become slaves to one another. Matthew 20, 25 to 29, Jesus speaks, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your slave. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying the greatest people on the planet are slaves. Philippians 2 verse 5 to 11, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This whole passage is talking about Jesus making himself a slave. Jesus, the God of heaven and earth, became a slave. Oh yes, Jesus didn't support forced slavery, but voluntary slavery. He made himself a slave. He called on his disciples to become slaves to people. For Jesus, the highest place on earth is the lowest place. Jesus places higher value on slaves than on masters. And that is why he himself behaved like a slave, even though he was the master of the universe. Bill Moher talks about Luke 12, 47 and Luke 7, 1 to 10. What did Jesus say in those passages? Luke 12, 47, Bill Moher quotes, it says, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. Yeah, Bill obviously didn't read the whole text or think about the text. But this verse is a reference to us and God. He's not talking about physical slaves and masters. If there's one being in the universe that deserves to be master, it is God. And he is master. Without him, the earth wouldn't orbit and the world would not have oxygen, and neither would your heart beat in your chest. He made us, and he has the right to require a reckoning from us in the way that we have treated life and people. So yes, blows will come to those who've been disobedient to the master. Jesus is not saying these things in line with physical master-slave relationships, but in the context of his rulership over the world. And then we read in Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 10, this man that uh, Bill speaks about. Jesus heals the slave of a Roman soldier in Luke 7, 1 to 10. I want you to go read that text. We don't have time for that now. But first, we need to notice the master of the slave, who was a high-up Roman official, the master came to beg Jesus to heal his slave. What does that mean? It means that he cared for his slave. He loved him and wanted him healed. And as I've said already, who says the slave actually wanted to leave? Bill says, why does he heal the guy and not set him free? Maybe he didn't want to leave. You see, we must be very careful to read into these texts. Our ideas of slavery without taking into context the true nature of early Roman slavery. Bill continues to say, Jesus should have known better. He has a lot of explaining to do when he comes back to judge the living and the dead. Why didn't you zap the chains off a slave? Well, <laughs> obviously this guy misunderstands the purpose of miracles. He misunderstands the purpose. He talks about the bar tricks and the wine. His whole life purpose was to free slaves to sin, something far more pertinent and valuable than zapping away chains. He didn't come to release slaves, but he came to be a slave. And slaves, by the way, they didn't have chains, maybe when they were locked up uh, in prison. But why did he never preach this? Why did Jesus never preach against slavery? I'd like to propose three reasons. Firstly, it wasn't such a big issue in the first century as it was in the 16th century. Slavery was part of life in the first century. It was the norm. 90% of people in Rome were slaves. It was the norm. It wasn't the most pressing, pressing issue of the day. It was part of the culture. People were more concerned about Roman oppression as a political power than about everyday social structures like slavery. 
Now, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because we live in the 21st century, but we need to let it sink in. It was a different world. It wasn't the most pressing issue. Second, it wasn't his goal to release people from physical bondage. It was his goal, life goal, to release people from spiritual bondage. He wasn't focused on the temporary, but on the eternal. Thirdly, slavery was a political issue, just like it was in the 16th century. And Jesus was not a political warrior. He didn't come to take on governments. He came to challenge individuals. He came to call people to repent. And so in all his preaching, it was on mountainsides, it was by the sea, because he was talking to ordinary people, asking them to change their hearts to repent and turn to God. If you really wanted to change Rome, you would have seen him in the palaces of Caesar throughout his ministry on earth, but that wasn't his goal. Bill Maher continues to say on the subject of slavery, Jesus says nothing. First thing when he comes back is that we are going to need an apology, a real apology. So, wow, Jesus has to apologize for what people have done in the 16th century. No, People who say things like you do, Bill Maher, who make a mockery of him, will have to give some serious apologies when he comes down with a thousand angels. And I'm sorry, won't cut it either for you. You are not 100% sure Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, and then you make blasphemous statements like that? Make 1000% sure God doesn't exist before you say things like these. He then goes on to say that the remedy is that Jesus would have to go to rehab and sensitivity training. I suppose the rehab is about Jesus turning water into wine. And the sensitivity training is perhaps about him not being concerned about slaves. Slaves who weren't even concerned about themselves. Jesus was so sensitive about slaves that he gave his own life up for them. I wonder for whom Bill Maher would give up his life for. I wonder how sensitive he is towards the poverty in the world. I wonder how much wealth he has and how much of that he distributes to the sick and the dying. I wonder how much time he goes and spends with sick people. How much time he spends on the streets with the destitute and the dying. And then he says, he can, Jesus can forget about hosting the Oscars. Let me tell you this. That is the last thing on the mind of Jesus. That is the last place Jesus would ever want to set his foot. I'll be honest with you, that video is a mockery. Let me conclude. The Bible does not support the slavery that was seen in the Americas. It is very clear. Secondly, the Old Testament included rules about the common slavery of the day, which was part of the social and cultural milieu of the day. But this type of slavery wasn't racial. There was no pagan type of slave trading allowed among God's people. Slavery was not permanent unless willfully desired, and slavery was never forced but pursued out of a free will to pay a debt. Thirdly, the slavery mentioned in the New Testament, was a slavery created by the Roman culture, not Christian culture. There has never been an acceptable form of slavery under Christianity. When the New Testament does address slaves or their masters, it is talking to Christians who are still in a slave-master relationship which was created by the dominant Roman way of life. I hope that this podcast has helped settle some of the questions that you might perhaps have about what the Bible says regarding slavery. May God bless you. Looking forward to talk to you again next week. Have a fantastic week. Bye-bye.